Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favorite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish dash tech dash news. Hi, welcome to today's art podcast. Who have you got in today's podcast? David Curtin is my name. I'm the chief executive of .ie, which is the national registry for .ie domain names. And I'm Paulina Maria, policy director at Centre, uh, which is the uh, European Association of National Top-Level Domain Registries, like .ie or .uk. Okay, now before we start, let's give a bit of background so we know who you, you both are. So, um, yes, so .ie is the national registry for, at this point, over 330,000 .ie domain names. We have about 54% or thereabouts of the hosted market. .com has 29%. We're actually a profit for good company. So we work with strategic partners and we champion digital advocacy type initiatives. One of them is Digital Town, and I'd love to come back to that later, uh, Ronan. Yep. Um, we have a uniquely Irish um, identity and online address. Um, we are an operator of essential services designated by the Irish government. So what does that mean? It means that we're one of a small group of providers of critical national internet infrastructure. And that forms the backbone of Ireland's secure internet access and resilience. So what else? Um, we provide data analytics and dashboards and most recently we're providing those to digital policymakers so that they really get a better understanding of the digital particularly cyber security landscape in Ireland and um, during this EU digital decade and those dashboards are helping them make better policy decisions we believe and lastly I'd say that um, .ie is more than just a domain name because I would say it represents our digital identity in the online world and having a .ie at the end of your web address or your email, it tells the world that you've got a connection to Ireland. I guess so. We encourage everyone to register their their .ie domain name to to show the world that they have. So a connection I guess .ie says it's like an online passport. So you're Irish. That's right. Yeah, and and not just Irish. I mean, we we have a very broad interpretation of Irish. So if you're living in Ireland, working in Ireland, um playing games or yeah. um, going to college. I mean, it's the connection to Ireland rather than let's say just the Irish passport. Yeah, Because we're, we're extremely um, lucky, I think, to have uh, so many um, international people working in Ireland. And the team in, in .ie actually is about, um, you know, all approaching half at this stage are, are non-Irish passport holders. And um, it's made us, uh, a great company to work for and, and continue to work with. Okay, and Paulina? Yes, uh, thanks, Ryan. So, uh, as already mentioned, Centre, um, we are the Association of European National Top-Level Domain Registries. So, that is uh, one of our members, uh, but uh, we are, of course, um, also com yeah, represent broader uh, European CCTLT community. So, um, that includes uh, all European dots, uh, as we call them, so we bring them together. Um, allow information exchange uh, between peers, so between uh, national top-level domain registries. And we also provide data and policy analysis, um, meaning um, we uh, monitor and uh, keep uh, 
our fingers on a regulatory pulse in the EU specifically. So um, as a result, we also strive to be the voice of the European uh, national top level domain uh, registries at regional and EU level. Um, so that um, includes regulatory discussions in the European Union, but also globally within the uh, internet governance discussions uh, when it comes to the areas that are relevant uh, to domain name system and of course uh, domain registries. So um, in the policy area, um, yeah, we, um, which I'm responsible for, so uh, we uh, monitor and analyze EU regulatory developments that are relevant for European um, uh, domain name registries. And uh, these areas include everything from cybersecurity to tech digital regulation, data protection, to intellectual property rights protection, consumer protection, and law enforcement areas. So uh, we also represent European CCTLD voice um, with conversations with EU policymakers and um, try to make sure that the internet infrastructure um, maintained by the uh, domain and registries is not disproportionately impacted uh, by the proposed laws. Yeah, and also, do you deal with the with UK because of Brexit? Are you still working with them as well? Yes, the UK is um, yes is our member, yeah. but of course, uh, considering the fact that we're mostly, let's say, focus on the EU uh, regulatory issues, then the um, um, UK is not uh, impacted directly yeah. uh, by by these uh, discussions. So, um, but of course, we we try to also always keep in mind that extraterritorial impact that uh, EU regulation has on uh, other regions as well, and of course, non-European members. Well, that's good to know because I know that. Uh... With Brexit, it's good that they know uh, what regulations they have to keep in mind of. Yeah, yeah, because of that yeah, extraterritorial impact that yeah. the EU regulation usually has. Now, getting back to CENTR, what does CENTR do? <laughs> yes, so um, it's again a question from Iran, right? Um, so, um, uh, as I already said, uh, yeah, we bring the dots together. Yeah. So um, the CCTODs in Europe, uh, we bring them together. Um, we organize uh, meetings and uh, discussion um, places for um, everything that uh, might have, you know, interest and uh, impact on European dots. And uh, since, yeah, since I'm responsible for the for the area for the policy and regulatory area, then um, um, we are of course keeping an eye on these different regulatory initiatives that may have impact on European CCTLDs in Europe and uh, also be beyond on the internet governance levels, so on the global uh, level. And uh, we analyze uh, these uh, regulatory developments. Um, we raise awareness uh, about these uh, um, and the impact of them uh, on the infrastructure. And um, yeah, we also talk to policymakers uh, so that they understand how the main name system works and there, how sometimes um, these um, um, some of the impact that are unintended might have a, a difficult or um, um, yeah unwanted impact uh, on the DNS, so to the main name system and the registry operations. So I'm thinking maybe GDPR might have something you had a lot to do with in the past few years. Yes, absolutely. So GDPR, of course, is one of the if one of those uh, that uh, ended up being uh, quite uh, interesting, also in, in in relation to the fact that, of course, the main name infrastructure was not um, uh, being on the, the policymakers' mind 
when uh, when GDPR was discussed and introduced, but in the end, uh, it had a lot of impacts on uh, the registry operations. So David can, of course, uh, say a, a bit more from the uh, operator experience uh, how the impacted uh, how GDPR impacted and data protection discussions impacted um, very uh, yeah from a technical level to policy. Uh, discussions that are relevant uh, for domain and registries, but uh, yeah, there are also some others, um, some other interesting uh, policy and regulatory initiatives in the recent years that uh, we had to deal a lot, specifically in the cybersecurity area. So um, NIS two directive is one of those um, that um, brought uh, quite a groundbreaking attention uh, towards a very specific area that uh, impacts uh, domain name registration process. But then it's also, for example, one of the unsurprising areas was agricultural policy that was discussed in the EU. And it's quite surprising to hear, but actually it had a, quite a profound uh, effect on the domain name industry and yeah, impacts uh, domain names um, quite um, directly. So we even, so we deal with some of those, let's say, regulars like data protection and cybersecurity, but we also uh, get these surprises from the EU policymakers when it comes to agricultural policy or or consumer protection areas that we might sometimes might think that, well, how do they deal with domain names, but they have a direct impact. And also I'm thinking of AI now, that's going to be going to be important for you guys in the future. Also, yes, and that's also another area where, of course, infrastructure is not very uh, explicitly mentioned in the conversations, but uh, of course, uh, in the future, uh, will will definitely have an impact. And that leads me on to uh, what's CNTR's vision for the future of the internet's going to be like, what what's it going to be? Right. So, um, of course, also 2024 is a special year um, for everybody who's uh, following EU discussions. So, as you may know, um, we have the EU elections upcoming. And ahead of those elections, uh, we prepared a set of principles uh, that, in our view, should be taken into account by the returning and also new policymakers that will be arriving to Brussels after the elections. And as we've already discussed uh, now very briefly, um, we have seen an avalanche of legislation um, in the recent years that uh, directly target uh, domain name registries. So as I already mentioned, from cybersecurity uh, to uh, more surprising areas, uh, such as agricultural policy. And while we see that there's increase of attention uh, towards uh, areas that impact domain name registries and also explicitly mentioning domain name registries in the uh, digital regulation, um, there is unfortunately little understanding on how registries operate and what a crucial role the main name system um, plays in, in uh, keeping the internet up and running. And in addition to those existing legislation, of course, that we have, um, the EU policymakers are also looking into the future, right? So they are yeah. trying to be ahead of the curve and anticipate what could be the next uh, buzzwords and, and areas uh, where regulatory attention uh, might be needed. So uh, we already hear about um, um, some strategic documents that the EU has issued that mention, for example, Web 4.0. That's yeah. uh, quite a yeah, quite a next buzzword uh, on the agenda, and uh, you know the virtual worlds also called metaverse and um so we see that type of um, regulatory attention also already being um well not maybe regulatory policy attention uh towards the future of the internet is is being uh, 
um, already discussed uh, before the elections. And as at the same time, uh, since uh, we are part of the internet infrastructure and have quite an extensive experience, well, first of all, of course, dealing with the policymakers in the past years um, in light of all that regulatory attention, but also we have over 40 years of uh, experience of running a stable and secure um, um, infrastructure. I mean, as in the, our members of center members have that experience. So we have that extensive history of uh, the main name system that uh, has, of course, evolved and developed, but uh, has also uh, stayed uh, stable and uh, and quite unchanged in terms of the technology uh, that is underpinning it. And uh, so we've tried to synthesize a few principles that we see from that experience that we would like to put forward for the policymakers to uh, um, to keep it their attention towards and um, to keep in mind when they're discussing the future of the internet. So um, some of those key principles uh, that uh, we have identified uh, are, of course, more um, straightforward and um, such as open standards and the respect for the open standards of the internet, also the respect for multi-stakeholder governance model uh, that allowed the internet uh, to become that indispensable part of our society. And we believe that these uh, foundational principles are also worth to uh, keeping for the future as well, because yeah. I mean, they, they proved that they work. And others, uh, so other principles like respect for privacy and human rights um, will, will, in our opinion, make sure uh, that the future of the internet is human centric. So first and foremost, and uh, takes into account the well-being of the humans um, yeah. on the internet. So, uh, and in that vein, we of course also um, um, I feel that uh, it's crucial and important to maintain easy accessibility of critical infrastructure, and that includes uh, the domain names. Um, that will, uh, of course, serve the purpose of better competition online um, and without pushing people towards um, yeah some other alternative services like platforms yeah. and uh, yeah and uh, as david already also explained uh, we have that also uh, local national connection to the to people's identities and uh, where they're from so yeah so that people choose irish uh, domain names over maybe some others yeah and i guess the biggest change has been technology like 40 years ago when people were going to go online if it kind of existed then They'd be on a computer or a, <clears throat> a server, whereas now people can afford a tablet or they've got a smartphone or they've got a laptop. So the device they used has changed and that makes it uh, in some ways harder for you guys to work with because you deal with more technologies than before. Like, for example, when, when you, for example, might have said oh, uh, they're going to use a computer to go online 40, 34 years ago. Right now, they're going online with a mobile phone, so the computer has changed and what, what it once was defined as a computer. It's now a, a laptop or, or it could be a, a, a smartphone or it could be a tablet. I think that's true, Ronan. When uh, <clears throat> mobile devices were introduced initially, if you went on a website, the display of the very nice website was really awful yeah. on a mobile phone, if you remember. Um, but the mobile phone operators very quickly got to grips with that. And now the user experience on a mobile is, some would say, even better than, you know, on a, on a laptop. And consumers prefer to have that supercomputer yeah. in a back pocket or in a, in a handbag or otherwise. And, you know, that's how most people are getting on the Internet these days. 
So domains have kept pace and, um, you know, there's, there's still, um, very high reliance on, on websites, on domains, you know, to give the information that uh, the consumers are looking for. And even though it's on a mobile phone, you know, there's still, um, you know, the e-commerce, you know, rather than social commerce is yeah. still dominant. Um, and, and that's an interesting, uh, you know, trend to watch for the future. Because yeah, I remember years ago, WAP came out and uh, at that point it was on certain mobile, mobile devices. And at that point, people, if you, if you were going online because you were in a separate cafe or you could afford a computer, not everyone had one. And then when Apple came out with the iPhone, it changed how, how basically you could have a, a web experience similar to a desktop version, more or less. Maybe some mm -hmm. might change because of the screen and all that, but it would be very, very similar. And suddenly nowadays you have a scenario that when you go to a website, it knows by your browser if you're on a, if a mobile device or if you're on a computer. And then it decides which version you're going to see, but the most very similar. Paulina's mm -hmm. way too young to remember WAP or yeah. <laughs> technologies like that. But I, I remember it very well, Ron. I remember when the Japanese company NTT Docomo yeah. uh, started this idea of, you know, having a big screen on your mobile that you could, uh, you know, see your, your kind of website or other digital content. It was amazing. But what, what you point to there is a very interesting trend where you know, consumers now reliant on mobile and especially during COVID, the level of digital acceleration has been absolutely incredible. And the consumer has moved in Ireland way ahead of where business is. Yeah. And it's one of the things that um, .ie is really concerned about is that businesses will catch up on what consumers are doing. So for instance, we see a lot of SMEs that still don't have a website. Um, and some that have a website, but it's only kind of a brochure website and they're yeah. not yet doing e-commerce. So it's one of the things we do is to try and find ways to help, you know, and educate SMEs on, on that kind of journey, that digital journey. So they can be where their customers are online yeah. and they can, they can sell to them um, profitably and compete with the platforms that are already there. Because I've seen websites for companies, and it's not a website, it's a link to a Facebook page or Instagram page, and, and it goes, we're online. But I'm thinking, mm. no, you're not online, because unless you're an Instagram or a Facebook user, you can't access that data. Indeed, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the disadvantages of social commerce, right? If you yeah. have your own website or your own domain name, you have control over your branding, over your messaging, over your, uh, you know, your own customer data. So there's, there's still a lot of advantages there. Because I, I guess they're thinking it's it's free to have have a, have a space on a, a Facebook profile, a profile on Instagram. So yeah, it is free. But when it's free, there's limitations. Yes. I mean, our recommendation is that, that small business uses a hybrid type approach. Yeah. I mean, they can use social for attracting customers, but then we would hope that they direct them to their, their website, you know, where they have a little bit more control over the interaction with the consumer and give them really a better, a better experience. And they know more about their own consumer, about their own customer. Yeah. So they have a better chance of holding that customer to for the long term. So for us, like for digital to work very well in Ireland, we, think we need a hybrid approach of, you know, mobile and laptop, but also social, social media, plus um, your traditional um, domain name and website and email. Yeah, and also if you're on a social media platform, the biggest problem with them is going to be um, moderation. How do you make sure the comments aren't, aren't going to be put on there that are going to affect your business? 
Yes, and, and that is one of the trends that, you know, the, the on the internet now, there's a lot of um, impersonation, there's fake news, there's deep fakes. So yeah. there's a lot of issues facing us. And that's where Centre has a role and where .ie has a role that um, we can help guide policymakers on, on what's needed, you know, especially in terms of identity verification. Yeah. Um, .ie, you know, we ask people to identify themselves beforehand. And now, as Polina mentioned, there's a new directive coming from Europe called NIS2 um, on information security. And that will now make it compulsory for all of the top level domains, not only to validate the identity, but to verify it. Yeah. So in future, um, if there's a need to see who's behind a domain name, you know, that information will be held by the service providers. So it's a positive development, but it's one that's going to be brought with difficulty on its implementation because it will be expensive for especially small hosting providers. Yeah. But that kind of verification steps in place. But Centre is taking a role there to try and make policymakers aware, you know, of the implication and to be proportionate as Paulina said, to be proportionate with the legislation yeah. in terms of addressing the problem. Because to be honest, the level of DNS abuse is tiny um, in proportion to the number of members. And every single TLD has a good policy about how does it tackle technical domain name abuse? Yeah. How does it help the authorities to address illegality online? And for us as a small registry, it's great to have Centre there because they provide this forum for us to discuss what we're doing in country. So when I attend the central meetings, I can see what the Germans are doing, what the English are doing, what's happening in the Netherlands or Belgium. And together we pick the best of all of those approaches, you know, when we're developing our own policies and procedures. Yeah, because I'm thinking so, of, of, of elections, an EV website, and it, it's it's spouting misinformation, and you don't know who the, who the owner is. At least if you register that, the person can go and spout that because they didn't know if they do that. We will know who they are. Yes, and when you say we know who they are, so the, the, the issue at the moment is with GDPR that you cannot see who's behind a website yeah. because all personal information is redacted. But law enforcement will soon have powers to find out who's behind them and also uh, regulatory bodies. Yeah. So they'll be what's known in what Europe has called legitimate access seekers. So if there's a if there's problematic content be it technical or illegality, criminality, um, there will be mechanisms in future to uh, to find out who's behind the website and then take steps to to um, to moderate content. Yeah, because it's good if, if, if you go and you can, you can contact the host of the website and say, well, can you tell me who's behind this? And uh, because uh, we, we need to know because there's been misinformation. And if you're like a government authority or, or a regulatory authority, they're going to say, yes, this is who it is. This is their details. Mm -hmm. Yes, well, in, in Ireland, you know, we have what's called regulatory protocols yeah. with e-regulators. So that includes the central bank, it includes the Consumer Protection Authority, corporate enforcement, even the medicines board. So if there's illegal medicines being sold online, the regulator will come to us, tell us what the issue is, and then we will work with the hosting provider and the owner of the domain name to say, look, we've been told about this issue. Um, if you don't take it down, then the medicines board will look for the entire website to come down. 
so to be suspended or even deleted. Yeah. So there's those protocols in place that have government regulators, the hosting providers, uh, the registries all working together to address the problematic um, content. And, you know, the nice term for it is multi-stakeholderism, but I think, you know, right, right across Europe, there's great examples of where the different stakeholders recognize each other's issues and they come up with ways of um, acceptable ways of tackling it. So Centre's role has been to help to kind of set up due process or to inform each other of good due process so that we can put something in place that balances the roles and responsibilities or the rights and obligations. So people have right to data privacy, but consumers have right to be protected and so on. So it's it's that idea of kind of being in that multi-stakeholder approach, understanding each other's positions, and then um, being able to protect consumers without infringing on other people's rights to free speech and the right to be heard online. Yeah, because I guess we've got to think about how do you maintain the core elements of the free and open internet that have allowed information society to develop and thrive? Because you've got to make sure it's done in a proper and, and, and a good manner that you don't feel you've been censored. Indeed. Alina? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I wish I had an easy answer to this, uh, yeah. Ronan, <laughs> because, um, yeah, uh, indeed, uh, there are some of the core elements that I think are still worth uh, keeping for the future. So, of course, we're looking also a little bit uh, from yeah how the Internet has developed so far. And uh, as David already so uh, nicely put, uh, some of the issues that we see, so, for example, the privacy of an individual uh, became in recent years more and more prominent. But at the same time, it has also been seen as as it's uh, hampering um, some of the um, consumer protection issues or, or or fighting crime. So finding the right balance um, is of course essential here. And um, as David already uh, indicated, uh, is working together and specifically in, in the area of cybersecurity is, is is crucial because we can't put responsibility on one actor, specifically when it comes also to infrastructure. Um, so we can't say, for example, that, uh, well, you can't have a domain name um, without um, um, yeah, compromising some of, some of your rights. I mean, we cannot say this. Um, and uh, this, of course, also includes that we have to respect the privacy of domain name holders. And, uh, but then we have to put, put in place those due process procedures that will allow authorities to uh, be able to access that information um, rather quickly uh, from from the main name registry or uh, from another uh, service provider like hosting service provider, etc. So, um, but let me start maybe first from some of the foundational principles that um, well look into the future of the web. And since I already mentioned that metaverse and web 4.0 uh, discussions that already are happening. Uh, across yeah across uh, different um policy making circles then um, maybe first principle that we put forward also uh, in our document is the respect and uh, active support for open standards that um we yeah we we it might seem like it's a it's a given but um i think they there still needs to be the type of awareness uh, of how crucial these open standards are for the development of the internet and uh, specifically the interoperability between um, different uh, protocols uh, that are foundational uh, to the internet. So um, 
interoperability and open standards basically mean that uh, different apps and services can use the same set of languages, right, and to communicate uh, with each other. Yeah. And the best example here is the email protocol. So, um, so that's, I think, one of those basic foundational examples of how, how this based on open standard, so that we can send emails uh, from Outlook to Gmail, and um, yeah, we receive receiving them uh, mo most of the times. Yeah. So when we speak about the future of the internet and, and Web 4.0, then it's essential that policymakers, especially when they're calling these uh, future developments uh, with the name of one particular company or reference uh, one particular technology, um, they are mindful that uh, we cannot um, or that they should not be um, promoting that particular technology yeah. specifically in the regulatory environment. And uh, de definitely they should abstain from pushing users and businesses, um, so the people and the businesses that are online, to closed environments and partic to particular vendors' technologies. So one of the ways for policymakers to, to ensure that is to also um, actively procure solutions based on open standards in public procurement. So that's one of the principles that we put forward in our document. Yeah. And um, of course, another one um, is uh, also quite important for us, and uh, we have also some examples uh, here um, to, to outline, is that uh, any tech and digital policy and regulation must be technologically neutral. So that's also another one uh, which is uh, quite uh, important for, um, yeah, for, the, for, for the policymakers to uh, keep in mind. And especially when they're thinking of the future of the internet, right? So it feels like they must be part psychics and part sci-fi authors in a way. Yeah. But uh, but in the end, it's difficult to predict. So a lot of these regulatory discussions are happening with specific solutions and technologies in mind. And um, so um, as a result, they overlook um, some of the existing alternatives. So the way this is where we have a particular regulation that has particular technology in mind and then has those uh, um, collateral, let's say, impact on unwanted consequences on, um, on, on on other technology. And GDPR is the, that example, yeah. right? So um, as, as David already also pointed out, where, of course, privacy and uh, data protection is extremely important online. Um, we have to uh, make sure that it's protected and i mean the individuals are protected and uh, the privacy is respected but then it has that unwanted potentially unwanted or collateral impact on uh, for example for internet infrastructure like domain names right yeah. and uh, we do keep uh, keep that balance so um and another example uh, of where that techno let's say technological neutrality uh, was difficult to maintain. I, I have to again mention that a particular um, agricultural policy discussions that we had and uh, in the EU. So EU was reforming geographical indications protection um, uh, regulations. So uh, like for example feta cheese or uh, champagne. So these are the these uh, geographically protected uh, denominators. And, Kerrygold uh, is a good example in Ireland, Paulina, the Kerrygold butter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Very good example. Thank you, David. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, and surprisingly, uh, that type of discussion had a crucial impact on domain names since the regulator decided, well, and rightfully so, was trying to also make sure that these geographical indications are also protected online and specifically included some um, provisions 
uh, that were targeted at um, domain names being monitored for yeah. potentially being, um, yeah, uh, including those protected terms uh, within uh, within the, within the domain names. And um, I'm not going to go into many details uh, because it's long and complicated yeah. and I might lose myself in that. But uh, what happened essentially was that the regulator was um, mandating the use of particular technology and uh, completely overlooked the alternatives that included for both by yeah, uh, developed by non-commercial um, actors, but also commercial activities. So, and mandated a particular one technological solution. So that and that really showed well. First of all, maybe a lack of research, but also the lack of understanding, and uh, also um, specifically um, the lack of understanding how domain names are important for establishing one's identity online. And specifically, when we talk about geographic areas, right? So, yeah. so a lot of times, these yes, there are those products that are referenced in geographical areas, but they're also the names of uh, the towns or the regions. And, uh, we give an Irish example again. Yeah, Donegal okay. Tweed was an Irish company that was very involved at a European level in in um, asking regulators to take a look at this. So to protect artisan or the creative um, smaller smaller mom and pop type type industries as well. Um, another one that I can think of is the Aran sweater. Yeah. So there's lots of knockoffs being sold on fake uh, web shops or or. Um, even legitimate websites, what's claiming to be Aaron sweaters or claiming to be Donegal Tweed when it's not exactly that. So I think that's that's really a live issue for, for Irish people and great to have um, Centre fighting the, the cause in, uh, in in Europe as the, the legislators do their best to draft um, some legislation to protect the artisan small business owner. Um, so, yeah. And, to you again, and David, earlier you mentioned Kerrygold, which right now is the biggest selling butter in America. That's right. Yeah. Yes. And still in Germany too, I think. Yeah. Mm. And just... yeah, so thanks. Thanks, David, for yeah. mentioning that. So yeah, so indeed there was yeah, so of course the yeah, the local producers need to be protected, but at the same time, um it also completely overlooked that the so the domain names are quite um well, as you know, I mean, they have to be unique, of course, for technical reasons. Otherwise, we will be have many domain names with the same name and there will be a chaos uh, on the Internet. But, uh, but yeah, so, of course, well, we have to protect the local producers and that's a legitimate, of course, legitimate aim. Um, the yeah the the regulator didn't really think about that. Well, that domain names are the limited resource and that there might be also multiple legitimate users of yeah. the same domain name because well also the region the name of the region is also representing much broader than just an economic interest so uh so, yeah, so that was for example overlooked so it was important to make sure that uh the accessibility of domain names also for those users that not necessarily represent uh, uh the local producer but might be for example a local school or uh, or a local municipality that might have uh, also actually interest in in having the the same region in in their domain name um that the registration of those domains uh, for, for 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 those type of uh, usages are also not disproportionately impacted and uh yeah so that there is none of those uh, uh hurdles in making yeah in making sure that these domain names remain remain available for for their communities that they're serving
So, um, so yeah, so that's one of those areas that uh, we're of course uh, yeah uh, monitoring um, quite closely and making sure that policymakers understand how important uh, domain names are, and yeah. but also all all the underlying infrastructure that uh, um, is. Uh, uh, important to make sure that the internet is the, yeah is the, as user friendly and easily accessible for everybody as it is. Yeah, because to me it's all it always should be a free resource. And Tim Berners Lee has always said, "Stimulate he invented it." Then that should be everyone should be able to use, it and it shouldn't be a scenario where suddenly we can't access it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, uh, and that's something that, yeah, it feels like it's, uh, it's a given, but uh, it turns out that we need to repeat uh, those, uh, those truths uh, over and over again to make sure that uh, it's uh, still is the case. Because when Sim Tim Bradley invented internet, he didn't think it was going to be what it is now. Because back then, what, what information it could show you was limited to the technology we had. And he probably didn't think we'd be able to watch movies online or, or uh, gamble online or watch live concerts online or watch uh, governments have, 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 a, have a speech online and everything else. Watch parliaments working, for example. So before we finish off, uh, just a quick query for you, David. The Irish Data Protection Commissioner, Commission, DPC, is national... Independent authority responsible for upholding the fundamental right of, of individuals in the EU to have the person data protected. Do you have much dealings with them and the Irish Data Protection Commissioner? No, um, we haven't had dealings really with the Data Protection Commission since um, GDPR was introduced in 2018. But I'd say to you, Ron, that's probably the best kind of relationship to yeah. have with your regulator because it means that both parties understand what their roles and responsibilities are. And it's thanks to our kind of multi-stakeholder model that we already, or since GDPR, like we have policies, processes and procedures in place, you know, to handle the type of issues that the Data Protection Commission would be interested in. So first and foremost, we have a who is directory. Yeah. Uh, in common with every top level domain holder, CCTLD. So we have a who is directory and private individuals uh, data is redacted on that who that who is lookup um, on that directory service. Um, however, a legal entity is disclosed on on the who is. Yeah. So if you want to see who's behind a particular domain name, you'd key that into our website and you can see the, the name of the company um, behind a particular website or an email address. Now, there's also contact information shown on the who is, but since GDPR, that information is redacted as well. So it won't say that David Curtin is the person, but it will give a code, an ID number 17499 dash and that will allow somebody to say, let me know who's behind this because I think there's a problem. So the who is directory is compliant fully with, um, with GDPR. Yeah. And there's a new directive coming called NIS2, and it will modify the kind of information that's needed. Um, but again, that will be in accordance with GDPR. So we're not anticipating a difficulty about what is disclosed. Um, but it certainly was um, an interesting set of discussions early on when there was that worry that by disclosing um, people's names on the website, on the, the whiz, that it, it would contravene GDPR. But anyway, together, that multi-stakeholder model found, found a way around it. 
But the other thing we do that keeps us on the right side of the regulator is that we actually have protocols in place with different regulatory bodies. Mm -hmm. So that includes the central bank, the corporate enforcement agency, the consumer protection authority, um, and others. So if there are issues around technical abuse, so phishing, for instance, or if there's illegality like fake web shops and the regulators approach us for information, we already have due process in place that allows us um, to investigate the issue and come to a resolution that uh, is done in accordance with GDPR and in accordance with, um, if you like, principles of natural justice as, as, yeah. as well. So in parallel with that, for many years, we've had um, a process as well for dealing with intellectual property disputes. So WIPO is the agency that is the neutral um, arbiter of disputes. Yeah. So if somebody alleges that a particular domain name has been registered in bad faith or is being used in bad faith, there is that formal process there. And we also have a faster and cheaper version where um, it's a lighter process. It's called an alternative dispute resolution process. And that's really for individuals or small companies who couldn't afford the, the legal fees for the more formal WIPO process, but they can engage with the independent party that we have appointed called net neutrals. So they will help to mediate initially. And if not, they will reach a decision um, that helps to try and resolve the, the situation. And that can result in the existing domain holder losing the domain name to the appellant, to the complainant. Yeah. Um, but again, all due process. At the end of those two processes, if the existing domain holder wants to go to the courts, then there's a stay on the decision of the neutral mediators while the court decides, um, and, and that ruling will be final. So, you know, with, thing, with processes like that in place, it means that, um, you know, the the complainants get a fair play and a fair hearing, yeah. but also that the domain holders have the right to defend their right to use the domain name. And I think it's fair to say that, that, that those kind of processes like WIPO and the ADRP, the Alternative Dispute Resolution Process, that they have stood the test of time. And so many centre members have those. And they are put forward as ways to deal with abuse that uses domain names. And it should make it not necessary to have future directives that are more onerous, um, that we can rely on processes like this to resolve disputes without having heavy handed um, regulation. So that was a long winded way of saying yeah. that I think we have, we have a good relationship with our, our data protection uh, commission. And um, yeah, I think we have some really solid um, policies and good procedures that are fair to everybody. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. And I'll say on that note, <clears throat> thanks for a great conversation, Paulina and David, and good luck in the future. Thank you very much, thanks. Roman. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news on Facebook. 
facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.